Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. This morning, um, we're going to go ahead and jump in. And and it's so hard when you come across a, a message like today that God has laid on our hearts because we come out of a weekend where we see life transformation in the lives of our teenagers. Last night, I want you to know that service started around seven o'clock ish. They didn't sing the last song till almost till about 10 o'clock. And if it were up to the teenagers, I believe we would still be here. I really do. Jared got up and said, We have sang 34 songs. And in that moment, every student in the room started chanting, 35, 35. So guess what they did? They sang the 35th song. But it was such a sweet time in the Lord. And just to see life change into walls, to see the walls fall. Um, I say all that to say this morning is going to be a very uh, a, a tough message for us to share this morning. But it's truth that needs to be spoken according to God's word. And I hope you know my heart by now. I love you enough to speak the truth. We're not going to sugarcoat what the word of God says. And the reality is, is the word of God is offensive to our flesh. Because it goes against everything we are in our flesh. And today is one of those days. But to sort of tee this up, I can speak on behalf of men because I am one. The majority of all of us men in this room, we don't like to ask for help, do we? We're stubborn. We're prideful. Lynn Cooper is all in. Is that, who is that? Is that Lynn over there? He is all in this one. I'm here, Lynn. Come on, brother. Have at it. I love it. But you know, all, uh, all joking aside, we really don't like to ask for help until we're put in a very desperate situation. It doesn't matter if we're working in the yard. It doesn't matter if we're working on a car. It doesn't matter if we're moving furniture. We're going to try to do everything we can to do it on our own until we're forced to ask for help. I jokingly think about a commercial that I remember back from the early 90s, and I remember it was, it's been talked about on the radio um, the last several weeks. Do you, any of you remember the Life Alert commercials? Y'all know what I'm talking about already. You know, you wear the thing around your neck, it's got the button on it, and what happened? What, what, what's the saying? I've fallen and I can't get up. But don't you dare push that button until you absolutely need help. But what we even see in light of that commercial is that once help shows up, It's not until then that they experience relief, that they experience help. Um, And so what we're going to look at this morning is, is Jesus is going to be extending help to the disciples. He's going to be teaching the disciples what help now they have access to with his departure. Because if you remember, for the last several weeks, all we've been talking about is how Jesus was trying to settle the hearts of the troubled disciples in light of the fact that he was gonna be leaving. 
That's what we've been reading and studying for the last several weeks now is that Jesus was continuing to, to, to try and provide comfort, peace, and a settlement to their heart that we know according to the word, it was troubled. But what's interesting about today is how we're gonna start. We're gonna see that Jesus continues to comfort them, but that's not how today is gonna start. John chapter 14 we're going to start in verse 15, and I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when we read just this one verse about how heavy this message is going to be for most of us. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus tells the disciples at the Last Supper, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the first question that this brings to our attention or brings to my mind is, is keeping my commandments. Well, what commandments specifically is Jesus talking about? What commandments is he alluding to? And we can look back through the text and we can see that in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus challenges the disciples to love one another. That's a commandment that he gives to the disciples. Another, we can look in the Gospel of Matthew where he sees and he challenges the disciples to love God. But then we also see in some cases, we always reference back to the law that, that God placed on the heart of Moses and by way of 10 commandments. So we have to ask the question, well, what commandments is Jesus specifically talking about? And what you realize is that when you study the scriptures, when you see what Jesus is talking about, we wonder, so is it to love people? Is it to love God? Is the commandments to live by the law, to live by the Ten Commandments? And what we will realize is that when Jesus is speaking of keep my commandments, it's encompassing all of his teachings. It's encompassing everything that Jesus has instructed, everything that Jesus has talked about. So if he's taught it, if he showed it, honestly, that settles it. That's literally what he means when he says, keep my commandments. But many times when we reference this scripture, it's interpreted through two contrasting extremes. And so what we wanna do is kind of reveal these, these contrasting extremes, these extremes on both ends, and then we're gonna dive into the, the text of really what it means in the heart of what Jesus is challenging the, the disciples with. So the first extreme when referencing this scripture is the idea of legalism. It's the idea of this works-based salvation. And what this would allude to is this would allude to our ability to earn God's love, that if we follow all the laws, if we follow all the commandments, then, then, then that's when God will love us. That's when God will receive us. That's when God will extend salvation to us if we can follow all the rules, if we can follow all the laws, if we can cross all the T's and dot all the I's. 
But you see, there's a problem with that teaching because if that's what is being taught here, that we can be good enough, that we can follow all the laws, that we can follow all the rules, that we can be good enough to earn God's love, then what we have to understand is that gives us the ability to save ourselves. And we know that we don't have the ability to save ourselves. And so there's the problem with the first extreme, but then let's look at the the next extreme. This is what oftentimes gives the people the, the excuse to abuse grace, to abuse mercy, because we know that according to Romans chapter three, verse 23, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, and so because in our minds we can justify it, well, we all sin, we all make mistakes, and we just simply write it off as, well, you know what, I can just keep on sinning because I know I'm forgiven. I can just keep on living in my flesh. I can just keep on doing all the things that I did before I had a relationship with Christ because therefore I'm forgiven anyway. And so we almost view our salvation as the Here's the free to sin card. We can just do, we can just say, we can act, we can live however we want to, and then we can just ask for forgiveness. But you see, what I want you to understand today is that neither extreme is accurate. Neither extreme is the truth of God's word because as we've heard Jesus already say in John 14, six, that he is the only way. So if he is the only way, then we know there is no way in us. It is only through him that we receive salvation. And then in light of the other extreme, what we have to understand is that that keeping the commandments is the result of our love for him, not an attempt to get love from him. That our result in in having a desire to live by the commandments is not so that we can earn something from him. It's because we realize that we've already got everything from him. Maybe you say it another way. Keeping his commandments is not a stipulation to achieve salvation, but it's a lifestyle produced in response to salvation. That's what the truth is. That's what... The reality is. So here we are seeing Jesus trying to comfort the troubled hearts of the disciples and all of a sudden he just drops this bomb on them. He's trying to comfort them because they're anxious, they're worried about what they're gonna do in Jesus' absence and then out of nowhere he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Can you just hear the disciples sitting around the table then talking? You know, I don't know if you've watched it Tommy Duncan really pressed me to start watching The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen that. I would highly advise you'd watch it because you realize the disciples are just like you and I. I love Peter. He's a mess. But I wonder, did did this transpire into a conversation with maybe Peter and, and Thomas? That Jesus says, hey, by the way, if you love me, keep my commandments. Can you just see them all going, oh, great. What are we gonna do now? What the heck are we, how are we gonna abide by his commandments when he's not here? He's the one that's told us what to do. He's the one that's guided us. 
He's the one that's protected us. So how in the world are we now gonna be able to accomplish this truth bomb that he's just thrown in our laps? We've barely made it up to this point following him. So how in the world are we gonna do this on our own? And you wonder, did their troubled hearts all of a sudden just go to a whole nother level? Did their troubled hearts just all of a sudden go in overdrive? Wait a minute, Jesus is gonna be gone and now he's telling us to keep his commandments? How in the world is this gonna work? And so we don't really know the time lapse between verse 15 and verse 16, but what we see is very quickly after Jesus tells them, if you love me, keep my commandments, that we see quickly in verse 16, Jesus goes back to comforting the disciples. Look with me in verses 16 through 20. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me, and I in you. Now, when we read verse 16 there, it almost appears that, that Jesus' way of comforting the disciples is to say, hey, you know what? I'm leaving, but don't worry about it because the Father's gonna send somebody else. The Father's gonna send a replacement. The Father's gonna send somebody else. So don't worry about me not being here. Help is on the way. Somebody else is coming. And when we read that on the surface in the English language, that's exactly what another means. It means another one. It means something different that will take the place of something else. But when we look at the word another in the Greek language, what you realize is it actually has two different definitions. This word another has two different definitions. The first one comes from the word heteros, which means one that is different, a substitute to take the place of. And that's exactly how we would use it in our English language oftentimes. But another definition of that comes from the word alas, A-L-L-O-S. And it means one of the exact same. One of the exact same. And so that's the definition of the word that Jesus is using to the disciples. He's saying, look, I'm gonna send, the Father is gonna send another helper, meaning that's the exact same as me. That is the exact same as me, is a replica. But we know that this exact same as Jesus is coming by way of the Holy Spirit that he speaks of. What's mind-blowing about verse 16 is in verse 16, we see the entire Trinity talked about. Jesus begins by saying, I, and what we've been reading, we know that I is the Son of God. Then he references the Father, the Father in heaven, and then he alludes to another helper, which is the Holy Spirit of God. Now look, we could talk about the Trinity all day long, but the concept of the Trinity Thinking about 
three in one and how they're all equals, how they're all the same, making up the same one God. And the more we think about it, the more we try to understand it, the more we try to figure out its complexity. I don't know about you, but the more our heads hurt. But I am so thankful that I serve a God that I can't comprehend in my mind. I'm thankful that I serve a God who's much bigger than my thoughts. And here's what I love about me and me. I don't really try to understand it all. I'm just dumb enough to believe it and trust it. I ain't gonna try to figure it out. I just know that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all one operating together. And that's what I love about my mind. I don't have to figure it out. A lot of you other people, you try to figure it out. I wish you could come over to my side. It's much easier. But when Jesus says here, he says, I'm sending a helper. I'm sending a helper to do the very same thing for you that I have done up to this point. So he's telling the disciples, don't fear the fact that I'm going because there's another one, the same as me, that's gonna be able to do for you everything I've done to this point. What the Holy Spirit is gonna provide for the disciples is the very same thing that Jesus has provided thus far for the disciples. And so if we wanna know what the role of the Holy Spirit is, if we wanna know the role of what's gonna take place by the sending of the Holy Spirit, the easiest way to find out what the Holy Spirit is gonna provide is let's look at what Jesus has done up to this point. Because if the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the exact same, then we know what the Holy Spirit is gonna provide is the very same thing that Jesus has provided up to this point. And so we know that when we look all through Scripture in the New Testament, we see everything that Jesus has done. We see that Jesus guided the disciples. Over 20 times in the four gospels, Jesus tells the disciples to follow him. So he's guiding them. We read that the fact that he provided peace, he calmed storms, Jesus did. We also see that they even asked the question, how do we pray? And what did Jesus do? Jesus taught them how to pray. Then in many different circumstances, we see where they needed courage. And Jesus became that courage for them. And look, we could go on and on, and we could give example after example after example. But what Jesus wants the disciples to know is, hey, even when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit that will now dwell inside of you is going to provide everything for you that I have provided up to this point. And we see this in the scripture. We know that the Holy Spirit still guides us. When we look in the book of Proverbs, we see that if all thy ways acknowledge him and what? He will direct your path. That's the spirit of God living inside of us. We also know that the Holy Spirit provides peace. Philippians chapter four, verse seven. God provides peace that passes all understanding. Peace that doesn't make sense. That's something only the Holy Spirit of God can do. According to Romans chapter eight, we also know that the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. Prays for us when we don't have the words. Isn't that right, Ashley? Speaks on our behalf when we don't know what to say. But then we also know that the Holy Spirit of God gives us courage. 
You've heard me say this verse a thousand times, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, when Paul is writing the church at Corinth, and he's talking about trials, and he's talking about troubles, and he says, the God of comfort will comfort you in your afflictions. And Brian's paraphrase is, the reason that God comforts us in afflictions is so that we can later comfort others in theirs that we will walk through the same path that God will use. That was a message the second night was there's purpose in our pain. But what I've realized this week in studying is that word comfort. You know, I think we all probably have our opinion of what comfort is. So me and the kids were riding to school this past week. I think it was on Wednesday and I was asking the kids. I just said, hey, what's y'all's definition of comfort? What is your definition of comfort? And Cooper goes, to be wrapped up in a blanket on the couch. <laughs> and I think for all of us, we would probably 100% agree that that's what comfort is, especially on a 27 degree morning in March with flowers blooming. Makes absolute no sense. Welcome to Georgia. But you know, when we look at that word comfort, that the God of all comfort will give us comfort when we begin to dissect what the word comfort means, the first half of the word C-O-M literally means to come alongside. To come alongside. And then when we look at the second half, F-O-R-T comes from a word fortis, which means to provide strength. And so when we look at the word comfort, God is saying, hey, no matter what you face, no matter what you walk through, it's not gonna be just like you're wrapped up in a blanket laying on the couch. But he says, whatever you face, whatever you're walking through, I'm gonna come alongside you and I'm going to provide the strength through you to keep going, to keep fighting. And so that's exactly what Jesus wants the disciples to know. He's saying, look, the God of comfort is gonna continue to provide strength for you even when I'm gone. The Holy Spirit is gonna continue to do for you what I've done thus far. And so Jesus is honestly just challenging the disciples and teaching them. In my absence, you just gotta turn to the Holy Spirit for everything you've turned to me for. Pretty simply stated. Whatever you've gone to me for, now I want you to turn and trust the Holy Spirit. And he wants them to know that whatever they face, their helper, their strength, their courage will always be with them. Verse 16, he says that. He says, the difference in me and the spirit is you'll have the spirit forever. Jesus in his flesh did not live forever, but the spirit of God lives forever in the life of every one of us as believers. It's something that we're never without once you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation. I love he says there, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. When you look at the word orphan, it literally means comfortless. So Jesus is telling them, don't worry even in my absence, I'm not gonna leave you comfortless. 
I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to be your comfort. I'm going to be your strength. I'm going to be with you, whatever it is that you're walking through. And so I say all that to say, at the end of the day, what Jesus wants the disciples to know is don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry about my absence, because in my absence, the Father's sending someone the exact same as me that will now live inside of you and not necessarily walk beside you. And so that brings them comfort. That brings, should bring us as a child of God comfort that as a child of God, we still have access to that very same thing through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what he wants them to know is, hey, the way you live by my commandments, the way you keep my commandments is you trust the spirit that's living inside of you. You're still gonna face trials. You're still gonna face temptation. You're still gonna face troubles. But what you have to depend on is the spirit of me living inside of you. That's how you continue in this battle. That's how you continue doing it with my physical presence not here. And so that just brings a thought to our mind that you may wonder, well, if I've been saved, according to what you're saying, pastor, if I've been saved, the, the spirit of God lives in me and I've been forgiven, Right? So why do I have to worry about what Jesus is saying, about living by my commandments, by keeping my commandments? Why do I have to live by them? Why do I have to live by the commandments? Here's the truth. Now look, don't check out when I tell you this. The truth is, you don't have to. You don't have to live by the commandments. But if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, the supernatural transformation that takes place is instead of having to, you now want to. You now want to walk in view of what God is commanding us to do as his children. So you don't have to. But when a super, supernatural transformation takes place inside of you, you want to. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that ought to be one of our favorite verses as a child of God. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We love that verse because it gives us the mindset of we get to push reset. The old is gone, the new has come, right? We love that. But what we can't fail to forget is that you are a new creation because you now have a new spirit living inside of you. That's what is a new creation Yes, we push reset, but you had now become, once you were dead, you're now alive. When you were without hope, you now have hope. When you were destined for death and eternity separated from God, you now have been promised an eternity with him instead. And so when we grasp the concept when we grasp the concept that the, that the Holy Spirit 
of God lives inside of us, not because we earned it, but because we've submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit came and just invaded our lives before we had cleaned up, before we had straightened up, and that he came and gave us freely what we don't deserve. When we contemplate that, it causes us to fall in love deeper and deeper with what God has done in our lives. That's how it goes from an I don't have to to a want to. That's why Jesus says, he starts it out, if you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't say, keep my commandments so I will love you. But he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How many times do your kids paint you in a corner with that one? Daddy, if you love me, you'll buy this for me. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Hmm? You probably do that to your spouse very often. If you love me, you'll do this for me. Let me teach you how to respond to that one. I love you, but my works ain't got nothing to do with that. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. If we truly love him, if we truly love him, there will be response. Paul teaches this in Galatians, in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That is Paul's heart to saying, this is that transformation comes by way of surrender. And we all know that when that transformation comes by way of surrender, things begin to change. And as a child of God, what used to be comfortable is no longer comfortable. And you don't fully understand why. But the Holy Spirit, here's what I love about the power of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about today is the Holy Spirit reveals things to us in our lives now that don't glorify the Father. It shines light in the dark places. But not only does he reveal, but at the same time, he gives us the strength to overcome. Simply stated, he gives us the strength to say no. And so that's why Jesus says, if you truly love God, if you truly love me, your desire to live for me will trump the desire to live for your flesh. You know, here's where it gets pretty complicated. Not pretty complicated, pretty in your face, I guess I should say. I've heard several accounts of students this weekend that, that have made statements of, well, I've been saved, but I don't really have the desire to live by his commandments. 
Maybe even some of you, you can think back in your time of your past where you've, you've prayed a prayer or you filled out a card, so in your mind, you've been saved. But you can sit here right now, this morning, in this context of where we're at, and you can say, but I don't really have a desire to live for him. I'm kind of comfortable just doing my own thing. You know, you know I've, got, I've, I've, I've been saved, so I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but, you know, but I'll just, that, that just praise God, Right? but I don't really have a desire since I'm living under grace. I don't have to follow the commandments and you know what? And I'm pretty comfortable not having to. You know what I wanna share next? Um, Because I could very easily share my opinion with you, but my opinion doesn't matter. The word of God is the only thing that matters. And so what I'm about to share from scripture is probably gonna cut some people. It may offend some people, but I hope you understand, as I said in the beginning, I love you enough that I'm okay with you being offended. Because when I got saved by grace through faith, I was offended because I realized that I was lost and undone. But in 1 John chapter 2, Verse three and six, verses three through six. And, and just to be honest, this is not a popular passage that we like to read because of the weight of what is said. In 1 John chapter two, verses three and six, it says, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says that I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So the truth behind what John is writing here, you can say you're saved all day long. You can say you've filled out a card. You can say you've prayed a prayer. But if your desire to live for him doesn't exist according to the scripture, neither does your relationship with him. And I know that is not a popular topic to talk about, but what we have to realize is that when the Spirit of God transforms our heart, it transforms every desire of our heart. Does it create perfection? Absolutely not. But what used to be comfortable is no longer comfortable. What used to not hurt now hurts. What used to feel easy now is not easy anymore because there is a new creation living inside of us and it's the spirit of a holy and a righteous God. And I know that is not popular truth and I know that may offend some of you. But when we are truly born again, we relinquish control of our flesh and we relinquish power and authority to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we say, God, have your way. 
And so this is when it gets so complicated is because we will see people in our, in our country, we will see people all around our world celebrating sinful lifestyles, celebrating it, glorifying it, but claiming to be a child of God. Can I tell you that if you are walking with the Spirit of God living in you, there is nothing in you that can celebrate sin. There is nothing in you that can celebrate a lifestyle that doesn't honor and glorify God the Father who gave his life for you so that you could be forever changed. And we realize that he did it when we didn't deserve it. And so Paul goes on to continue to give examples. Ephesians chapter five. And I found it very interesting that he used this to compare it. But in Ephesians chapter five, verse 17, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. Verse 19, or 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. So you wonder, why does he draw the parallel between a drunkard and being influenced by the Spirit of God? Because when someone relinquishes control to alcohol, we know that there's something in them that's controlling who they are, controlling their thoughts, controlling their actions. And so a drunkard doesn't control their flesh, but they're controlled by the substance that is inside of them. And if you've ever been around somebody who's intoxicated, there's no way of hiding it. We know that they're different. We know that there's something peculiar about them. We know that they're not acting normal. We know that they're not living by their flesh. They're just living by the way of the influence of what is inside of them. And so the same as a drunk person, what we've got to ask ourselves is if we are so influenced by the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, does everyone around us take note that there's something different about us? That there's something influencing us from the inside out? Because I venture to say there's no way that the Spirit of God cannot live inside of us and us not be changed. And us not be different. And so the question is, is do we surrender to the influence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Because when we do, the world will see change. The world will see something different. Not because you're a great person. not because you've got it all figured out, but simply because the Spirit of God is influencing you from the inside out. But you know, people often been taught that once you start following Jesus, you gotta stop doing all the things you did before. 
When you start following Jesus, you have to stop doing all the things you did before. Don't cut me off here, but here we are again. This isn't true. You don't have to stop doing all the things you did before. But when you've radically been transformed and filled with the Holy Spirit of a holy God, you don't have to stop doing anything, but you supernaturally begin to desire him more than you did the things you did before. That's the life change that takes place. That's the life transformation that doesn't make sense to a lost world. That's why people will say, well, uh, Christianity just ain't no fun. Well, hell ain't either. <laughs> Dang, that's not even in my notes. I didn't mean to say that one. Well, praise the Lord. But I love what John writes in 1 John 5. And this is a whole new perspective. That if we truly love God, his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Think about when you do things for people that you love here on this earth. Is it burdensome to do something for someone you love? No, it's a desire within you because you love them and it spills out. It pours over and it's the way that you show them you love them by serving them, by taking care of them, by providing for them. And it's not a burden. It's not a burden as a result of the love that you have for them. But you see today, what I want you to understand is the more we fall in love with the Father, Father, the more willing we become to follow his commandments as a result of the reflection of the love that we have for him. And once we repent, once we turn from ourselves and we begin to follow him, the Holy Spirit now lives in us and it changes our desires, but it also gives us the strength to fight the fleshly desires that we will still wrestle with every single day. And so you may ask the question, well, once I repent and I believe, does it mean that perfection will exist? No, it doesn't. However, I believe the pursuit of perfection will be born because we will want to honor our Father. We will want to give His name glory. You're still going to be tempted, you're still going to face the struggles. But the same message that Jesus is telling the disciples, you've got to be reminded of today, is that we have a helper. We have the comforter, the one who's going to come alongside and give us strength to keep plowing forward. 
to keep being obedient. And so there's no doubt in my mind this morning that that there's somebody in this room today that you need to depend on the very thing that's living inside of you today. Maybe you continue to fall back into a temptation. Maybe you continue to fall back into sin. If I'd encourage you to do anything, you turn to the Holy Spirit living inside of you the same way the disciples turned to Jesus when he walked with them. You say, God, I need your help. God, help me overcome. Maybe today you need help on making a major decision, whether it's jobs, whatever it may be. You may need to fall on your face to say, God, I don't, I don't know the right way. And so God, I'm leaning on you today for help. But what do you need to depend on him? Maybe you're having a hard time loving somebody. God, I need you to help me love so-and-so. God, I need you to just simply help me have faith today. God, I need you to simply give me the courage and the strength to, to stay away from the things that ignite temptation, to avoid situations. Help me see the situations that I need to stay away from. So Spirit of God, I need you to guide me. I need you to lead me. the last question that I would ask this morning is have you been radically transformed by the infilling of the Holy Spirit inside of you? Because following Jesus is much more than filling out a card or praying a prayer. Wednesday night this past week it's the pep rally for rally weekend and you probably saw a whole bunch of kids out behind the chapel just hanging out, cutting up. Well, I walked by a room downstairs in the basement and I overheard a conversation with Pastor Chase and Zachary Mullinax speaking with one of our students. And Chase literally told the guy, he said, I can't talk you in to loving God. I can't talk you into it. And so I went up outside and I began to pray. I walked up and down the hallway praying. God, save that young man tonight. God, you open his eyes. You're the only one that can. And as Chase came upstairs, I was sitting there waiting for the great news. There wasn't any. He said, he's just not ready. But Friday night, I watched Mr. Brett walk over here to Chase and he said, I don't get it all. And he just said, with tears rolling down his face, I just wanna be saved. And can I tell you, in that moment, the Spirit of God invaded his life and transformed him for eternity. And I watched that young man walk from this corner back to his seat, glowing. 
That is only something the Spirit of God can do. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's people in this room today, you've prayed a prayer, you have filled out a card, but you have never been invaded by the Holy Spirit of God in your life because you've not been willing to die to your flesh and fully trust in his finished work. Don't let a card send you to hell. Don't let a baptism send you to hell. Have you fully trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? But as an adult, I know you sit there and you say, hey, but if I respond today, people gonna know that I've been living a lie. Can I tell you, if they're offended by the lie that you've been living, they probably live in one too. And so this morning, have you fully surrendered and trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your ways and have you submitted to follow him? Don't let pride, don't let pride keep you in your seat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.